0: If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 6 through 8. And when you get it, just stand to your feet with us so I know you're ready. It will also be up on the screen if you forgot your Bible today um, as well. Or for some of you forgot to charge your Bible if you use a phone or anything like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This is what it says. I'm using the Christian Standard Bible translation today. It says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be uh, in a, a new unleavened batch as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would just add your blessing to the word today, God. Speak to our hearts and our minds today. Let us leave here different than what we came in. In your name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. If uh, you've been in church any period of time, you've probably heard uh, the term uh, leavened or being unleavened in scripture or in teaching at some point, Um, but uh, this scripture really struck my heart this week, and it's a time of self-evaluation, time for us to examine our hearts and the things that we allow to impact our lives. And so, when we read this scripture, just a little background on what leavening is. If you don't know, if you bake or do anything like that, you'll understand that leavening is is a a, a concoction. It's it's like a powdery type thing. It's on the picture here, where it um gets added to dough and it allows the dough to rise and uh, makes it light and fluffy and all of those wonderful things for your bread that you bake. Well in this scenario when it's used in scripture it's talking about things that cause you to be puffed up and usually that is uh, a reference to pride and sin and things like that in this in this case. Well, the history of unleavened bread, and while it mentions the Passover and Lamb of Christ, is uh, during the Passover celebration, I don't have time to teach on all of that this morning, uh, the Jewish people would celebrate their freedom from Egyptian slavery, is what the Passover celebration is. And uh, they would eat unleavened bread, or also known as matzo, um, which represents and it's known as the bread of freedom. So it represents being free. It represents freedom from sin. It represents freedom from captivity. So when we talk about unleavened bread, what we're talking about is being free from captivity of sin, free from things that would cause us to be puffed up and prideful and things of those nature. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about unleavened. But when Paul's writing this, he says towards the end of uh, the Scripture here in verse 8, he says, Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven." Or with the leaven of malice and evil. And so when we get into this metaphorical view of leavening in, in regards to Scripture, sin, and applying it to our lives, there are two types, really three types. We're going to put it into two categories this morning of leavening that he is talking about. The first leavening he mentions is the old leaven. He says, don't let us be affected by old leaven. Don't let us be affected by old leaven. When you view this in the eyes of the spiritual realm, we can apply this to allowing things of the past to impact our life. There are things that have happened in days past, in years past, in months past, in all of our lives, that if we're not careful, it will blend itself into the dough, blend itself into the dough of our lives and cause us to be puffed up with things like bitterness, Things like unforgiveness, maybe even pride. If you look back on your life and there are things that caused you to be very successful, it's very easy in those times to look at those things and allow the leaven of the old days to cause you to puff up and be full of pride and bitterness and unforgiveness. And he's saying to rid ourselves of these leavens. I believe that there are, you know, we know the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change, but sometimes He does new works within our lives. See, I think the thing we need to remember is that it's not new to Him, but it is new to us. See, He's not changing Himself. He's not doing anything that would cause Him to not be God anymore and to not reign on His throne. But the things that He does in our life... Are new to us. He's been around for all of eternity and will continue to be around for the rest of eternity. There's nothing new to him, but there is plenty that is new to us. But the thing that will keep you from the new thing is holding on to the old thing. And I, and I've found that even myself sometimes I get want to get wrapped up in the good old days. And sometimes I want to allow myself to get caught up in even some of the bitterness and unforgiveness and anger from past hurt and past disappointment that that affects me sometimes. But it is a trap for us. It is a snare that is before us that, that keeps us from stepping into all the new and better things that God has ahead of us. We cannot allow the leaven of old to be in the dough. We can't. It will keep us from achieving everything God has for us in the future. Good and bad. I think we get too hung up on just talking about the bad things, the toxic things, all that in church. But sometimes we can allow even the great things to be a snare for us. It is a snare because it causes us to be prideful. It causes us to trust in the wrong things. For example, you, you may have had Great business success. You may have had great financial success. And, and you look back over those time periods of your life and you look at what your bank account said and, and all of a sudden you begin to uh, uh, trust in that rather than the one who gave it to you. There are great things that we allow to become like old leaven just as much as there are toxic things and poisonous things to us that we allow to impact our lives. We can't allow the old leaven to be a part of it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, he forgets all the past. He moves on from it. And Paul is somebody who's been successful. Paul is somebody who's been a a powerful man at times. And then he's been a time at times where he's had nothing. He says in Philippians chapter 4, I've learned how to have a lot and I've learned to have a little. But in all things, I've learned contentment. And so he's saying it doesn't matter how good or how bad the past was. Either way, you have to move on from it. You learn from it, but it doesn't dictate your life. It doesn't control you anymore. That bitterness and that unforgiveness can't keep its hold on you anymore. But then he also mentions the leaven of evil and malice. Evil and malice. A while back, I I preached about spiritual warfare and and the different types of spirits that affect us in our life. You have the spirits of impression and the spirits of oppression. And, and you have different things that we battle with in our life, sinful things that we battle with in our life, things that lead us into sin. And this is really what Paul's dealing with here. Is he's saying don't allow evil, don't allow malice, don't allow sinful things to enter into your life. You see, the thing about leaven is you really don't use a whole lot of it If you go to the grocery store, you can buy it in packet form. It's already uh, measured out for you. There ain't a whole lot in there in comparison to the amount of dough that's there. It doesn't take a lot to affect the whole batch. That's why Paul said even a little leaven affects the whole lump. It's crazy how little it is. And And I've learned something is that sin never starts out large it never starts large. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 tells us, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. There's a progression here. It starts as a desire. The desire leads to sin. Sin grows and leads to death. It never starts out big. When, when you see on TV uh, you know, some of these big televangelists and, and megachurch pastors, and recently in the past few years, it, they're, it, I don't know how much you pay attention to it, but it has come out that they have fallen in adultery. They have fallen into sins and, and thing, different things. And, and we get hung up on that, and we're like, well, we never saw it coming. Neither did they. It started small, and it grew until it overcame them. It was little bits at a time. If they would have seen it as the full-grown monster that it was, it probably is a higher probability that it would not have led to death for them. It starts as a desire. And I want to teach on this for just a second here. I think there's some things that we deal with in the world of temptation that we really struggle with and we think because we're tempted we are in sin. No, temptation is like the warning alarm that, hey, you need to do something before it leads to sin. When you are tempted, that is your sign to go into battle against sin. Because you have a desire for something doesn't mean that's who you are. Let let me me enter this into the, the more recent events of our world today. There are lifestyles. There are desires of the heart that are not of God that are very active today. The the traditional biblical view of marriage is, is in some respects being thrown out the window. And listen, I love all people with all my heart. I really truly do. But when you understand the scriptures and you understand God's word, you're you're able to help navigate those things a little bit better. You're able to navigate those things in love. You see your desire doesn't change the truth of God's word. Our desires take us away from God's Word. And so when we see this and, and people feel this, like, well, I feel like I, I might be a different gender than I really am, or I feel like I might be in love with the same gender, the, the reality of it is, is just because that's your desire doesn't mean it's right. We can't do what just makes us happy. We need to do what makes us holy. And I mean this with all the love in my heart. I really, truly do because I love all people. I really do. But I want all people to live in truth. I want all people to live under God's blessing and according to his word. That is the desire of my heart. And so I never beat anybody up. I will never sit and belittle somebody because they struggle with a sin that I don't struggle with. But there are people who struggle with these desires and, and they think it's just who they are. In reality, they're, they're facing a temptation and, and a desire that is not of God and they have to learn how to fight it. But they will never learn how to fight it unless we as believers and we as a church know the truth well enough and can operate in an atmosphere and an attitude of love that guides them through truth to lead to repentance. I, I know that's like really rocky ground to, to tread on that's that's really a a hard place to teach on and it's a place that we'd rather just put our foot down and say no it's sin it's evil get away from me don't look at me but what if when you were living in sin people treated you that way your sin might look different than other people's sin but it's still sin I love all people I do and it's because I love people that I want them to walk in truth And so when we look at desire, when we look at temptation, we have to understand that that is where the real battle is waged. And that is the front line of the battle. And that's where in our lives we have to defend ourselves and put up guards in our personal lives that keep us from it conceiving into sin. You have to kill it while it's just a desire. Because as sin grows, it grabs hold of you. It gains strength over you. It gains power over you. And it leads to your destruction. So when he says, get rid of the leaven of evil and malice, don't allow that in your life, we can also apply to what's written in James chapter 1 and start out that when we begin the desire, when we're dealing with the desire and the temptation, that's when we need to attack it the most. That's when we need to stand our ground and fight in our lives. And deal with it while it's just a small thing before it gets out of control and becomes a big thing. That's how we fight the leaven of evil and malice, is deal with it before it grows. Because as it grows, it becomes nearly impossible to defeat. Jesus warns of leaven himself. So not just Paul writing in 1 Corinthians, but as I begin to study this, I begin to look in the Scripture. And Paul uh, warns about three different kinds of, or Jesus rather, warns about three different kinds of leaven through the gospel messages. In Matthew 16, 6, he warns of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, he warns again of the Pharisees, but also the leaven of Herod, or in some translations it'll say the Herodians. And so he warns of these three leavens. And if, you, if you've been around a while and you, you've known the scripture, a lot of us understand that the Pharisees are hypocrites. They have a form of godliness. They, they, they know how to talk the talk, but they cannot walk the walk. They say one thing but do another. They put demands on people that they themselves do not live up to. They call themselves holy, but their heart is corrupted with evil and pride. It's prideful hypocrisy. So when Jesus warns of the leaven of the Pharisees, he's warning us of prideful hypocrisy, where we puff ourselves up and say, we are so great, all of you are not. But in reality, we are living an unholy life behind closed doors. That is the leaven of the Pharisees. Where we walk around acting like we have it all together all the time, but in reality we're falling apart. Where we act like we're better than everyone else, but in reality we're fighting the same battles and dealing with the same struggles as the person sitting next to us. This, this prideful hypocrisy will keep you so far from freedom because it keeps you putting out a front. It keeps you putting out this, this false idea of who you truly are. And you will never receive the blessing that you need in your life of freedom. You see, we pretend to be a lot of things. It's the world we live in. It really, It's always been that way. But it really has accelerated lately. People pretending to be things they're not. You look on social media. I don't know how many of you really are on there anymore. I'm starting to... Wean myself off of it personally because it's really just the same old, same old, over again. It's selfies and uh, stuff of food, and that's about the only thing I like to look at is pictures of food. And th- there's, there's all kinds of political stuff. There's all kinds of people complaining and, and all the time about how miserable their life is, and there's that. But then there's this whole other side of it where people put out a front of their life is so great. Their life is so wonderful. Their life is the greatest thing. They're they're sitting in the Bahamas under a palm tree drinking right out of a coconut that they just grabbed off the tree and like their life is so great and so wonderful. But in reality on the inside where they're sitting on that beach, they're miserable on the inside. But they're so desperate for freedom from from their own personal prison that they're Trying, it's almost like they're trying to convince themselves that everything is good by putting out this front. I would, I would uh, argue that the Pharisees of this day were probably similar to that, that they fought with temptation harder than anybody. They dealt with sin more than anybody, and it was because they refused to admit that they dealt with those things. I've learned some things, and one of the things that I've learned is that it is in our honesty with God and our honesty with people around us, our support system, our church family, that we really truly find freedom in Christ. The Bible says we are, we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The second part of that is honest. Honesty in conversation about what we deal with and what we are fighting through. But also understanding that Jesus already defeated it all. Jesus calls out. Jesus calls out the Pharisees. He calls them in Matthew uh, chapter 15 verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, like we just discussed. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That is a heavy statement. That you, you talk the talk, but your heart is not close to God. He's telling them, you, you, you're talking the talk, but you do not walk the walk. There's a reason why Jesus was drawn to people like the leper, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman at the well. Is because they were real and they were honest about what was happening in their life. Jesus is drawn to our honesty. The other one Jesus talks about and warns about is the leaven of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were were a little bit different than the Pharisees. They still had hypocrisy. They still had pride in their life. But the thing that separated them is that the Sadducees were very liberal in their handling of Scripture. I'm not talking politics when I say liberal. I'm talking about the way that they handled God's Word in their life the way that they viewed the Word of God. It was, it was, it was something that they just were free and, and throwing stuff around. And, and, and really what they did is that they, they believed that Scripture should line up with modern understanding, modern philosophy, and human reasoning. So in other words, they would take the Word of God and they'd bring it down to a level that was palatable for them and that it, they were lowering the standards of God to make it fit with their lifestyle they were making the word of god fit them instead of them fitting the word of god they would change things they would swap words around and they would say well they would say things like well i really feel like god would really think this or god would actually say something like this And they would fill in the blanks, and they would take it, and they would just use it like it was nothing, and they would use their human reasoning. They actually tried to trap Jesus one time. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but in the book of Matthew, um, there was a moment where they were mocking Jesus, and and they tried to trip him up, and they said, uh, essentially, there's a woman who was widowed, and then she was married seven times by seven different men. Well, in the resurrection, whose wife would she be? They, they tried to use this human reasoning to, to trip up Jesus. Jesus corrects them and explains them to him. but he tells them that there are really two areas that they are mistaken in, that they have faltered in. And, and he tells them uh, in Matthew, he, he answers them, he says, you are mistaken because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And he sums up the issue of the Sadducees in those two statements. They do not understand the Scriptures, they do not know the Scriptures, and they do not know the power of God. They don't really know the Word of God. The, the, in, in modern day, it, that somebody who maybe saw, uh, uh, once in a while saw a quote from Proverbs, or they, they saw a couple Scriptures out of Leviticus that, that they say, well, if I can't do this, then you can't wear blended fabrics. And they don't really know it. They, just, they say, well, I can't. you shouldn't be eating pork and you shouldn't be eating crab legs and things like that because Leviticus says you shouldn't be eating those things, but you're telling me I can't do this? And they don't understand covenant. They don't understand the new versus the old covenant. They don't understand moral law versus civil law and, and things of those nature at that time. They don't know the Scriptures, but they take and they try to apply what they do know in the wrong context and they twist Scripture to get what they want in their life. And it's because they really don't know it. He's telling them, you don't, you don't know Scripture, so what are you even talking about, is what Jesus tells the Sadducees. He says, you act like you know all this stuff. You act like you're so wise. You have all this human reasoning and human logic, but it, it's, it's nothing. You don't know the Word of God. He also tells them, I'm sorry, I got a little ahead of myself. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected my knowledge, I will reject you from serving as my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your sons. That's a heavy scripture right there. Forgetting and neglecting knowledge leads to destruction. And I'm talking about godly knowledge, knowing his word. I've seen a quote before. It said, "A, a Bible that is falling apart probably belongs to somebody who isn't. I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Somebody who really truly knows the word of God probably does a little bit better dealing with circumstances than somebody who doesn't. Because when you really know the promises of God and His Word, you understand that He will make you the head and not the tail. You understand that you are blessed in the city and blessed in the field. You understand that what Psalm, I believe, 91 says, that He will command His angels concerning you. When you know those truths, when you know the teachings of the Word and how to live holy, how to honor God with your life, You don't get trapped up in sin as easily. You see, it's for lack of knowledge, it's lack of understanding of what God's word says that we find ourselves in trouble most of the time. I've talked with people who have said, well, I just didn't know any better. And it's because oftentimes they're a new believer, they really just haven't put the time in. But then there have been other people, it's like you've been in church for 50 years. And you're telling me you didn't know any better? You, you'd never took the time to read the Word? And, and I, I'm not trying to condemn anybody or beat anybody up over it, but if you feel conviction, then you feel conviction, and maybe it's time to get in the Word. But, but like, it's the same problems over and over and over again. And I tell people, like, you know what the Bible says, right? You say, well, no, I never knew that. And it's been a long time that they could have read and understood. I'm not talking about the new Christians. I'm talking about people that know better and should know better. You will find so much freedom in knowing God's Word. Don't ever lower or reject the teachings of God because they are too hard to live or understand. I encourage you to seek knowledge and understanding. The next thing Jesus uh, implies in the scriptures that they do not know the power of God. What it's talking about is an experiential knowledge. And it, it ex, There's things that you can know in your head, and then there's other things that you can experience that transform your heart. There, there's times in my life where I've read the scriptures, I, I've, I've been in it, and I've, I've read it, I'm like, I, underst- I know this concept, I, I, I've read it a thousand times, I know it in my head, but it, it's like it doesn't really truly click to you until it happens in your life. For example, we talk about tithes and offerings. I'll use this one Malachi chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12 will teach us about that God blesses us when we're faithful in our tithes and offerings. I, like, I knew that, but I, I didn't really understand that, that, the power of that, until I got into my adult years and God began to send blessings. And he told me it's because of your faithful obedience that you got this. I didn't understand certain things of Scripture. I knew it. I knew what it said. But I didn't know it in the sense of experience and understand the power of God in that until it happened. That's what he's talking about. It's like, yeah, like even the stuff you do know, it's like you still don't really understand the power of God in that. Like, there is so much to be experienced with God. It's not just reading for the sake of reading. It's not just knowing for the sake of knowing. There is transformation and powerful things that happen when you know the Word of God. You can begin to have an experience of knowledge. It's like being in school and you being taught the concept of gravity over and over again in a science class, and then you, you understand it when you drop something and it hits the ground. Like, oh, that's what that is about. That's what that means. These Sadducees, there's a reason why they're sad, you see. I used to hear that all the time in Sunday school. They did not understand the power of God, and so because of it they missed out on everything that he had to offer. First Corinthians there's a reason why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 2 through 6 he says and I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom in other words human wisdom and human reasoning it says for I decided to know nothing among among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. In other words, Paul is saying, I came to you with a demonstration of power and the word of God. In other words, I came to you with knowledge and an experience that proved to you that God is who he says he is, that proved to you that what God says is true. That's what Paul is saying here. I came to you with a demonstration of the word. You can't just read it for the sake of reading it. You have to know it, and then eventually knowing it will lead to experiencing it. It's amazing. It, if you've served God any time of your life and you've read the word any amount of time in your life and really put it to your heart, there are times where you will look and say, so that's what God meant when he said dot, dot, dot. It's powerful how it works. The last leaven here and then I'm going to close. The Leaven of Herod, or Herodians, depending on the translation. This, this one's kind of crazy. This is the corruption of political agenda. I, I don't, I'm not a politics from the pulpit kind of guy. I'm not. But what I will tell you this, is we should never manipulate the spiritual to influence the political. We rest on the truth of God's word. We should vote according to the truth of God's word, but we should never allow the two to corrupt. The political should never corrupt the spiritual. We should never allow, uh, we should never use God's word to promote our own political agenda. See, the problem that I've seen a lot is there's this mentality is that. America is God's chosen nation, and, and we are a blessed nation, but we are not his chosen nation. Like, like we, we have all this, this idea that it's all about us, it's all, and we even do this in our own individual lives. It's all about us. No, it's really all about his kingdom. You see, we, we begin to view the scriptures through political eyes rather than kingdom eyes. You see, you see the kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's a theocracy. And there's only one king. There's only one God. And, and so when we read Scripture, we should not be taking it and saying, well, you should vote like this and you should vote like that because this is what God's Word says. and, and all, there, there is some truth in some of those things, but when we use that to throw weight around and, and we use that to, to beat people down over it, we are missing the whole point. You see, all, all the government, all the stuff that we see someday is all going to pass away. And there is a kingdom that will be established. A new heaven and a new earth, according to Revelation. None of the stuff that we vote about or fight about or divided over right now will matter. It will all be gone. Now, I believe in biblical principles of valuing human life. I believe in the biblical principles of marriage. I believe in all of those things, and I and we should be voting according to what the Bible says in a lot of ways, but it's kind of gotten to the point where everything's just a mess, and really we need to stop worrying so much about that and just really get our eyes on his kingdom. We, we need to view Scripture and view God not through the eyes of a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or whatever tea party or whatever other thing is out there but we view it as a citizen of his kingdom understanding that he's really truly the only one that sits on the throne he tells us in his word that anybody that's in authority has been placed there by me I've, i've allowed them to have this position for a reason and it's to bring his kingdom to come like, we get so caught up in, 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 like, protesting things and getting all worked up about certain things. And, and you know what? There, there are biblical things that we should stand for, and we should stand for truth. And I don't have time to really get into it in depth. But we get way too hung up on it. If we just, like, would go into the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples like Jesus said, the rest of that stuff would work itself out. like I mean really truly think about that we're we're trying to legislate a change of heart if if the laws worked that powerfully there would be no crime like there would be no crime whatsoever if laws had enough power to change the heart of man All they do is help steer us and give us motivation to not do the wrong. And I'm all for law and order. I'm just trying to make a point here that we get so hung up on those things that we miss the true power of God's word and the transformational power of his spirit. If we would just work to preach the gospel and make disciples, we wouldn't have to worry about any of those things because everybody would be in line with God's word. If we would put more focus on that we would see some real true world change. So I, I, I don't like to get caught up in political discussions because I really feel like it's a waste of time in a lot of ways. That's me personally. I love freedom, I love all those things, but me personally, I, I don't I won't really talk about it much because I believe that really what it comes down to is this law and this kingdom and this theocracy. And so I stick to this and if things don't line up, well, I, I also understand that the, the Bible says that there's coming a day when uh, itching ears will hire their own preachers to tell them what they want to hear. And that there's always going to be corruption. There's always going to be things that are wrong until Jesus comes. So let's not be leavened with the leaven of Herod and get so hung up on those things. And, like, so many people lose sleep over this stuff. And every four years We fight and we argue, and we hate each other over these things. It's so divisive, and it's such a distraction from what God's put us on this earth to do. Let's focus on what God's having us to do. Let's not get caught up in in the leaven of the Sadducees where we are are, are using our own wisdom, which is horrible wisdom, and, and, and we start relying on what God's Word says and what His wisdom is and we experience his power. Let's not get caught up in the leaven of the Pharisees and be puffed up with hypocrisy and pride. Let's not get caught up in the leaven of evil and malice. Let's, let's defeat sin in our lives and have victory over sin in our lives. Let's not get caught up in the old leaven and live in the past and, and allow those things to dictate who we are today and where we're going in the future. Don't allow yourself to be leavened. But instead, what Paul said in verse 8, he says, but, he says, therefore, let us observe the feast not with old leaven or the leaven of malice and evil, or if I was going to insert my own little notation in there, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says, be, be unleavened. I've learned that the more filled up with God you are, the less puffed up you are. The the more of God you have, the less of yourself you have. Because the two can't really fully exist in the same space. What I mean is your pride cannot exist with his presence. One of them is going to be destroyed. I, I can already tell you the winner I want us today to work towards getting rid of the leaven and living pure in sincerity and truth. Live a sincere life. Live a life under truth. If we can have some music. Every every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.